and welcome to the What The Heck podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. This is a creature feature episode where I look at cryptids. I'll describe them, delve into their history, look at some eyewitness accounts and look at what they might be. Research is as academic as possible and references will be given after the story. This week's creatures are vampires. Just a warning, this episode will talk about dead bodies, blood and some historic atrocities. If any of that is going to upset you, mark the episode played and pretend you listened. I won't be mad. This episode is also likely to be very long. I finally delved into a big creature with a lot of lore. Hold on for this episode. It's going to be a wild ride. Vampires have appeared numerous times in history, with many different varieties. The most well-known of these vampires is probably Count Dracula, or maybe the Count from Sesame Street. Just by bringing up vampires, we all get a specific set of images in our heads. This is because the legend of the vampire is known to almost everyone. The first mention of vampires is difficult to pinpoint because, like zombies, which I covered in episode 2, they had a metamorphosis in recent times. It's possible that Sekhmet, an Egyptian goddess, was the first vampire. She was a warrior goddess and was associated with both plagues and healing. The legend says that Ra, the sun god, sent Sekhmet to Earth to punish humans for their disobedience. Sekhmet couldn't stop herself from drinking the blood of her enemies though, and Ra had to dye a lot of beer red to quench her thirst. The story ends with Sekhmet drinking the beer and sleeping for three days. The story of Lilith is accredited to also being one of the first vampire stories. In Jewish folklore, Lilith is sometimes referred to as Adam's first wife and she was known as a monster in ancient Babylonia. Her name even derives from Lilithu, the Sumerian word for a female demon. It's said that the Lilithu would slip through windows to replace a spouse. Lilith herself is often seen as a monster, sometimes being used as the first vampire, sometimes being the first demon. However, The magazine Lilith is a Jewish-American production designed for feminists and has embraced Lilith as a misunderstood woman, vilified for daring to be herself. Once again, in Jewish folklore, there is a story of another first vampire. This time, we're looking at Judas Iscariot. This one is strange, since vampires had been referenced long before the events of Jesus' life but this is still an intriguing story. In the New Testament, specifically the book of Matthew, Judas betrayed Jesus to the Romans for 30 pieces of silver. After the crucifixion, Judas attempted to repent, returning the silver to the priests and elders who had paid him. When that wasn't accepted, Judas threw the silver on the temple floor and left. Judas then proceeded to take his own life, hanging himself. According to the Book of Agula, 
written in 143 CE by a Catholic monk, God decided that Judas hadn't been punished enough, resurrecting him after he had taken his own life. God was furious and condemned Judas to walk the earth until the end of days. Judas would fear the sun, roam the earth in darkness, and be forced to feed on the blood of living humans for eternity. Very little of Judas was recorded after that, but there are rumours of a violent clan of vampires that live in Serbia, Bulgaria and Romania that were all attributed to Judas. Another rumour exists of Lilith and Judas both taking their clans to Atlantis to live beneath the temple before the country sank into the ocean. Beyond the first vampire, legends of them appear all over history and all over the world. There are so many different types, it would be impossible to go over them all in one episode without it being hours long. With this in mind, I'm going to look specifically at the vampires that we see in pop culture, usually referred to as the European vampire. That's not to say that I won't ever cover the other types. I definitely will because they're just as interesting. It's just simpler to look at one type at a time because of all the lore involved. It's possible that the idea of vampires appeared first in ancient Greece, but it could have appeared even earlier with a completely different set of powers. The ancient Greeks heard stories of creatures that attacked people in their sleep. These were known as the Vrykolokas, and may have been influenced by Slavic folklore, or even have influenced Slavic folklore. It was known to specifically target the flesh and liver of its victim, in a similar method to the contemporary zombie. Neolithic graves in Cyprus and Greece show signs of people trying to prevent the dead from leaving their graves by placing rocks on the body's chests to prevent them from escaping. After the ancient Greeks, the idea of vampires really took hold in Europe. The appearance of them seems to coincide with outbreaks of plagues, and it's believed that due to lack of medical knowledge, the stages of decomposition and transmission of disease were easily attributed to vampires. By the Middle Ages, which spanned from the 5th century to the 15th century approximately, vampires as we know them began to appear. The vampires could be found when people began getting very sick. This led to many bodies being dug up, only to be discovered to still look alive. Gums would recede, making it look like the teeth had grown longer, and hair and nails would have appeared to have grown. Sometimes people would actually be buried while still alive, and the evidence of them trying to escape a coffin would only be used against them as proof that they had become a vampire. These gruesome discoveries led to a similar prevention method as in ancient Greece. Wooden or metal stakes would be driven through the deceased's body before burial to prevent them from escaping to harm others, and sometimes bodies were beheaded or buried face down instead. In the 16th century, a plague struck Italy, causing bodies to be piled in mass graves. In 2006, when these graves had been discovered, it was noted that some of the skeletons had bricks wedged into their jaws. 
it's possible that the bricks fell into the jaws before the grave was filled. But it could also have been an act of prevention, stopping the accused vampire from coming out and terrorising an already scared place. It's believed that the name of vampires came from the Balkans, the southeast area of Europe just north of Greece. Romanians called them Strigoi, Albanians called them the Striga, and variations of the word vampire appear as far west as Poland and Serbia. This region of Europe is where the modern legend of the vampire seems to get most of its information. It's time to look at that part of history. In the 18th century, Austria gained control of northern Serbia and the Romanian region of Oltenia after the Treaty of Posarovic in 1718. Austrian officials soon noticed odd practices among the local population. Vampire hunting. This was during the period of time that had been termed the 18th century vampire controversy. The officials witnessed the exhuming of bodies believed to be vampires and documented the practice of staking the body with a piece of hawthorn wood. Peter Blagojevich was the man that nine villagers said had made them sick. Peter had died before them and so he must have been a vampire. Another version of the story involves Peter returning home and asking his son for food only to drink his son's blood when refused. The villagers turned to their local priest, who ordered the body to be exhumed. The local Austrian representative was present during this and reported that the body was in excellent condition with blood around its mouth. When the body was staked, it apparently produced a surprising amount of fresh blood. This case was one of the first well-recorded cases of vampirism in Europe and was reported in Austrian newspapers. Scholars believe that this news report was translated across Europe, giving way to the lore of the vampire we know today. Another of the more famous Serbian vampire stories is about Sava Savanovic. He is believed to have lived around the same time as Pitar in an old water mill in the village of Zarajai. The legend is less well documented, but is the basis for an 1880 short story called After 19 Years and a 1973 TV horror movie called Leptirica. Both of these pieces of media have cemented Savanovic as the most famous of the Serbian vampires. The sightings weren't limited to the 18th century. In 2005, The Guardian looked at a ritual that had been performed as recently as 2003, where the body of a man had been exhumed, staked, sprinkled with garlic, and had his ribcage opened with a pitchfork. The man's heart was taken out, burned, and the ashes were placed in a glass of water, which was drunk by the men who performed the ritual. In more modern times, some parts of the ritual are seen as crimes, the hunting party was arrested, sentenced to six months in prison, and forced to pay damages to the family of the deceased. In the early 1800s, the vampire fear hit New England. 
at least 60 bodies were exhumed, desecrated and reburied. The most famous of these cases is that of Mercy Brown from Exeter, Rhode Island. In 1892, her body, along with her mother's and sister's, were exhumed. All three had died within quick succession. Mercy's father, George, was terrified that he would lose his son to the same sickness that the woman had, and reluctantly agreed to have the bodies examined. Her mother and sister had been reduced to just skeletal remains, but Mercy's body was discovered to be on its side and was far less decomposed. The local physician explained that it was a normal level of decomposition since she'd only been dead eight weeks, but nobody believed him. Mercy's heart was removed and burned. The ashes of the heart were then mixed into an elixir to help the sick. This was around the same time that the fear of vampires was becoming a bad argument, considering the advances in medical knowledge that had happened. Even the Pope had denounced vampirism as fiction in the late 1700s. But the fear never left people. Over the years between the denouncement and Mercy Brown, vampires had been given a makeover. They stopped being moving corpses and became regal and ethereal. In 1819, John Polidori wrote The Vampire, which would become lesser known than Frankenstein, another story from an infamous writing challenge that also involved Lord Byron. Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu released Carmilla in 1872, a serial novel about a female vampire. There was also Varney the Vampire, a popular Victorian serial, which gave rise to the vampire's kiss, the neck bite. In 1897, the most important piece of vampire lore surfaced. Bram Stoker's Dracula brought a lot of vampire lore together and created the image of the vampire that we know today. It's widely believed that Count Dracula was inspired by the very real Vlad Dracula, known today as Vlad the Impaler, because he was known to put the bodies of his enemies on giant stakes so that they would bleed to death. It's known that Stoker researched Transylvanian culture to write the book, and he consolidated a lot of the European superstitions into one streamlined version of the vampire. It's also possible that Stoker got the idea to write about vampires after learning of the fate of Mercy Brown, but that idea has no evidence to back it up. With the appearance of film came another wave of vampire lore. In 1922, the silent film Nosferatu released. This saw the vampires return to a malformed creature, with Count Orlok being frightening and creepy. The film itself has received backlash over the years, with people believing that the image of Count Orlok is anti-Semitic. The vampire returned to the ethereal version when Bela Lugosi played Count Dracula in a film. In the 1980s, the vampire had yet another transformation. With film, the visuals of a vampire could be conveyed in more detail. 
Films like Fright Night and The Lost Boys gave vampires a human look unless they were acting upon their vampiric nature, when the face would morph and become more animalistic. In 1992, another version of Dracula would come out, starring Gary Oldman, Winona Ryder, Anthony Hopkins and Keanu Reeves. This time, Dracula takes on multiple forms. He is a withered old man, a well-groomed count, and a man well-suited to Victorian London. This natural beauty was continued in the 1994 film adaptation of Interview with the Vampire. Lestat and Louis de Pointe du Lac are mysteriously beautiful, and Claudia, played by a young Kirsten Dunst, created even more lore. The vampires didn't age. In the late 90s, the trajectory changed. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, starring Sarah Michelle Gellar, took the legends from recent years and twisted them on their head. The vampire Angel had a soul, which was something that shouldn't have been possible, whilst the vampire Spike was able to fall in love with Buffy, leading to a conflict of his interest. Then, in 2005, the trajectory changed again. That year saw the release of Stephanie Meyer's Twilight. The lore in this franchise was cherry-picked from everything that had come before, rewriting some lore so it fit with the narrative. The vampires kept their natural beauty, inability to age, and their need for blood. Everything else seemed to have been removed, though. It took lore that had been recently created, like Underworld's war between werewolves and vampires, which didn't come from the original lore, and was something that had also been referenced in the Van Helsing film. As much as the Twilight Saga changed the lore in vampires, contemporary pieces like What We Do in the Shadows have integrated all forms of the lore and put them all in the same universe for hilarity to ensue. Before I move on to the eyewitness reports, I have a couple more things to talk about. The first one is a little fun fact. In 2014, the Daily Star reported that a study looking into paranormal activity reports suggested that there had been more than 2,000 reports of vampires in Britain over the previous 100 years. That was compared to reports from the Transylvania region of Romania, and it was shown that Transylvania only had eight reports. The second thing to mention is that there are lots of famously suspected vampires across history. The first on the list is Countess Elizabeth Bathory of Hungary. Born in 1560 into one of the oldest and most powerful families in Transylvania, she was married to a count in Hungary. Her husband was often away on conquests and she was left in charge. She is believed to be one of the earliest female serial killers, rumoured to torture and kill young female servants. It's reported that she bathed in the blood of her victims, but that is debated. She was eventually bricked into her rooms in her castle to live out the rest of her life. She also appeared as the main antagonist of the Dracula sequel, Dracula the Undead, released by Dacre Stoker in 2009. The next is the vampire of Dusseldorf, Peter Curtin, another serial killer he was active between 1929 and 1930. 
His victims were all female and he had reported to have drunk the blood of at least one of them. He was apprehended in 1930 and died by guillotine in 1931. There's also the vampire of Hanover, Fritz Harman, a third serial killer. He kidnapped and killed 27 boys by luring them into his apartment and biting their necks. He died by guillotine in 1925. Joseph Vacher is known as the French Ripper as a comparison to another mystery, Jack the Ripper. He kills at least 11 people, many of them shepherds in their own fields. When he was captured, he claimed he was insane after a childhood injury had changed him, then said he had been sent by Joan of Arc. Most of the bodies of his victims bore human bite marks. He died by guillotine in 1898. Neville Heath faked his identity in 1946, killing two women and drinking their blood. He received capital punishment in 1946. Andre Chikatilo, known as the Red Ripper or the Rostov Ripper, killed at least 52 women and children between 1978 and 1990. He's believed to be a vampire due to his upbringing during the Ukrainian famine in the 1930s, where he saw people resort to cannibalism. It's purported that he cannibalised his victims, but that can't be verified. Chikatilo was executed after his capture. Vincenzo Vazeni killed two people in Italy in 1870 so he could drink their blood. It's believed he may have had at least 10 victims. He was caught in 1873 and sentenced to life in prison. Richard Trenton Chase was known as the Vampire of Sacramento. He killed and drank the blood of six people between 1977 and 1978. He had been diagnosed with schizophrenia and believed that he had to drink the blood so the Nazis couldn't kill him. He was apprehended in 1978 and died by suicide whilst in prison. In 2002, a man named Alan Menzies believed that Akasha, the Queen of the Damned from the Anne Rice novels, had ordered him to kill his best friend and drink his blood. He was sentenced to time in prison, but died in 2004. The vampire of Nitero, Marcelo Andrade, believed that he needed to drink blood to remain young. He killed at least 14 boys in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, before he was captured in 1991. He was declared mentally ill and has been in psychiatric care since. With that, let's see if there are any eyewitness reports. Aside from the mentioned serial killers, there aren't many eyewitness accounts of vampires. Nobody has seen one. There have been several reports of them over the years though. Stories from Serbia and Romania are prevalent, as is the story of Mercy Brown. Another big story is the vampire of Highgate Cemetery. 
I won't go into detail about it right now, because I plan to cover this separately. But this vampire terrorised London in the 1970s. The Cranswell family moved into Croglin Grange in Cumbria, England in the 1870s. Amelia Cranswell could see lights on the lawn of the house in the summer. Eventually, the lights would come towards the house and she would begin to see something that was coming towards her window. She was frozen in fear until the creature left. She immediately tried to leave the room, but heard a scratching at her window. When she turned to look, she saw a hideous brown face with burning eyes. The creature picked the lead from the window, allowing the pain to drop into the room. It got to her and bit her neck. When her brothers found out about it, they began to plan for the creature's return. The next year, they were awoken by a scream from Amelia and rushed to her room. One of the brothers shot the creature and chased it from the house. The next day, they took a hunting party to investigate, finding a disturbed crypt with a withered corpse sporting a gunshot wound. They burned the corpse using a holly tree. Apparently, the stump is still in Croglin Church's graveyard. In Scotland, there are reports of the hunter priest of Melrose Abbey. He's named that because he likes to hunt on horseback with a pack of hounds. He's said to have been a 12th century chaplain. He was said to be a sinner and paid the price for his sins upon death. He stalks the streets at night in search of blood and his corpse was eventually burned. In Glasgow in 1954, rumours spread of a seven foot tall vampire with iron teeth. The rumour spread through school children, and it was said that the vampire had already kidnapped and murdered two boys. Adults and police tried to calm the rioting children down, but they couldn't be stopped from rallying together to bring the Gorbals vampire to justice. After school the next day, hundreds of school children descended on Glasgow's southern necropolis, armed with blades, crosses, stakes and even dogs. They prowled through the graveyard as the night fell, then a thick fog. The light of fires that the children had started threw shadows into the mist, and the children swarmed onto those shadows, believing them to be the vampire. It began to rain, and the children went home. But they didn't give up. They went to the necropolis night after night, but the vampire was never found or stopped. In 1981, police officer John Pepper was called to the Graceland Cemetery, Mineral Point, Wisconsin. He was only supposed to go and put the minds of locals at ease, but he spotted what became known as the Mineral Point Vampire. It fled and Pepper gave chase, but the vampire jumped and cleared the six-foot fence at the edge of the cemetery with ease. When investigating, the police force found footprints in the snow on the cemetery side of the fence, but nothing on the other side. The vampire resurfaced in 2004 
and witnesses claimed they had seen a creepy looking man attacking people in an apartment building by jumping at them from a tall tree. Police were called and spotted a man who not only fit the description of the complaint, but was recognised by police. Once again, the vampire fled and was chased by the police. This time, he flew over a 10-foot wall. Again, they discovered footprints on their side of the wall, but nothing on the other side. The vampire was then seen a third time in 2008, this time choosing to stalk his victims at Ludden Lake. A couple who were fishing heard the vampire before spotting it, then watched it climb up from under the jetty and run away. A man named Brandon Hines, who was nearby, threw his flashlight at the vampire, allowing the couple to escape while he fled to his car. When the police arrived, they found the fishing gear undisturbed on the jetty, but the flashlight had gone missing. That's all I could find in the way of actual eyewitness reports that I hadn't already covered. Vampire descriptions have changed over time, but are usually quite uniform. At the beginning of their existence, vampires were often corpses, shambling about in the night, feasting on the organs of the victim. They didn't begin to look like the recently deceased until the story started in the Balkans. Then they became human, dead relatives come to make those in the village sick. These human creatures could be bloated due to the creation of gases during the decomposition process, or maybe due to the amount of blood that they have ingested. It's difficult to be sure. It wasn't until much later on, with Polidori's novel, that the vampire became more than human. Aside from the Van Helsing film and the Nosferatu film, Vampires have been beautiful humans, blessed with good looks and unlimited charisma. They've been seen with a vampiric form and without, but the look has been pretty uniform. The only difference that the Twilight Vampires has is that they appear to be silicone-based after death. The book describes them as sparkling in the sun, and when that was transferred to film, they took on a crystalline structure, shattering when limbs are removed or upon death. In terms of powers, vampires have a lot. I'm going to go through powers and weaknesses this time, because it seems important to give weaknesses for one of the biggest cryptids I've ever looked at. There are 11 major powers that vampires have. These powers have been seen in multiple cases and would therefore be more likely to be an actual power. First, we have the ability to sire vampires. This is how vampires make more vampires. It's believed that it takes three bites to be effective, but also that to sire a new vampire, they must drink the blood of the vampire too. Vampires are able to transform into different animals for many reasons. The most commonly referenced is a bat, but they are known to turn into wolves, spiders, and insects too. They can turn into mist as well, 
allowing the vampire to make a clean escape or access places they wouldn't be able to otherwise. To go with this, they're also able to alter their size to fit into tight spaces. Another power they possess is superhuman strength. This is supposedly increased with age, meaning that an older vampire is stronger than a younger vampire. This, combined with their eternal life, would mean bad news if you wanted to start a fist fight with a vampire. They can also scale walls like a spider if they need to. The next three powers are related to control. Elements, animals and hypnotising people. Controlling the elements allows the vampire to give itself the advantage in a fight. Controlling animals could do the same, but could also be used in the same way that hypnosis could to lure in their victims. The final, and probably the most obvious power, is their ability to drain the life force of others. This can happen in more than one way. Blood is the norm, but there is a form of vampire known as the psychic vampire that steals energy through the emotions of the victim. But how do we tell if someone is a vampire? Well, there's a few ways to do that. Vampires are averse to sunlight, so if you never see them during the daytime, they could be. But that's a difficult one, because people can also work nights and then be awake at night because of that. Vampires are averse to silver as well. Keep something silver with you and see, see how they react. This links to the lack of reflection though. Most people believe that vampires don't have a reflection, but mirrors were originally backed in silver. That would prevent a vampire from being seen. It's entirely possible that modern vampires would have a reflection because mirrors are no longer backed in silver. A vampire has a lower body temperature due to being dead. Someone who is always cold could be a likely culprit. They are also attracted to blood, so someone who is drawn to it could also be a vampire. Vampires are compelled to count spilled items. One of the ways to escape a vampire is to carry a bag of sand, salt, sugar or rice with you. If attacked, spill it on the ground and the vampire will be forced to count each individual grain. They're unable to cross running water, although that's not really explained anywhere. They also may not be able to enter your home unless, unless invited, but there are differing stories for that one. Don't use that one as a defence just in case. How do we defeat vampires? Easy. If you know who they are, and where they rest during the day, you can stake them in place or put something in heavy on top of them to prevent them from leaving. If you don't, luring them out into the sunlight can help and beheading them can help. To slow them down, they're averse to garlic, although that's not explained anywhere, and crucifixes and holy water will actually harm them. That's about it. Hopefully, none of your friends are vampires. But now you know how to defeat one if you need to. Okay, now we're almost done. What are vampires in real life? 
Obviously, there's some theories. Today's first theory is that vampires are, in fact, real. The evidence backing them up is the archaeological finds and the stories of vampires being unearthed and destroyed. That's it. The next theory is that the vampire comes from a lack of medical knowledge. Instances of plagues and deadly diseases like tuberculosis, previously known as consumption, are usually recorded around the same time as vampire sightings. The theory suggests that because people didn't know how diseases were transmitted, they blamed it on one of the recently deceased. A lack of knowledge of decomposition bolstered that belief. Disease could decimate a small village through transmission, but such quick destruction must have had a supernatural reason. Still talking about disease, there are other options there. Rabies is often cited as a theory of vampirism. It's carried by bats, transferred by biting, can compel victims to bite others, can alter sleeping patterns, and produce hypersexual behaviour and an aversion to water, as well as causing hypersensitivity, which explains the aversion to sunlight and garlic. However, rabies also makes people aggressive, so it would be easy to tell if someone was suffering from it. One theory suggests that people buried prematurely are vampires. Comas, catalepsy and other illnesses could cause patients to become unresponsive for days, weeks or even months and lack of medical knowledge would make it almost impossible to tell the difference between one of these illnesses and death. The final disease to talk about today is porphyria. This is a blood disorder that can cause sunlight sensitivity to the point that skin blisters on exposure. There are many types and some can cause increased or decreased pigmentation of the skin and can also increase hair growth. It can even be bad enough that it causes severe abdominal pain and increased heart rate and blood pressure and even passing brown or red urine. Whether you believe in vampires or not, they have been known to exist in reality. Just be careful when you're out and about at night. You never know who might want your blood. The history of today's creature came from an Oprah Daily article called The Complete History of Vampires, an article by Lynn Gibson called The Legend of Judas Iscariot, a Britannica article called Vampire, a Hellenica article called Ancient Greek Vampires, an Emerging Europe article called How Balkan Vampires Captured the World's Imagination, a Daily Star article called Britain Has More Vampire Sightings Than Transylvania, an Alpha Wolf series article called 10 Most Memorable Vampires in History Who Aren't Dracula, and a Ranker article called 10 Notorious Real-Life Vampires. The eyewitness reports came from a Serpent's Pen article called The Vampire of Crogling Grange, a Travel Through History article called The Legend of the Hunter Priest Vampire of Melrose Abbey, a Folklore Scotland article called The Gorbals Vampire, and a Second Ranker article called The Strange Case of the Vampire of Mineral Point, Wisconsin. 
The description and powers from today came from a How Stuff Works article called How Vampire Works and a Vampire's Wife article called The Twelve Powers of a Vampire. The theories from today came from the How Stuff Works article, an iNews article called Are Vampires Real? a history article called Vampire History, and a Nord article about Porphyria. References for the episode will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Speaking of social media, links to those and other ways to listen are in the episode description under my link tree. You can currently find me on Facebook and Instagram. Patreon is getting an upload of one of the transcripts each week as part of the £3 tier. The link to the Patreon is also on the link tree and, as before, you're welcome to pledge more than £3 a month and I'll find something extra special for the people that do. I do have an email set up on the link tree, but it doesn't open up a new email so that's in the description of the episode too. Send me your spooky stories, unexplained events and anything else you want me to read out. Or, if you have any corrections or issues with things that I've said, let me know and I'll address them as soon as I see the email. The next episode will be out on Wednesday, and next week's Creature Feature will be released on June 11th, so hold on until then.